Welcome to the Droma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, or JOMA, podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician and proud JOMA member, and I'm really excited today to be here with Nesha Abramson. Hi, Nesha. Hi. Nesha is the Director of Brooklyn Outreach at Community Counter. I'm going to ask you a few minutes uh, later to explain what that is, and is active in several other Haredi health-related organizations where she works on compassionate and empathic health messaging surrounding issues that affect these communities. Nesha's achievements include initiatives that had doulas reinstated in New York City area hospitals during COVID-19 pandemic and establishing free access to CPR classes and AEDs, those are those automatic defibrillators, for over 50 Brooklyn area schools. Nesha is passionate about treating every situation with a dose of kindness and grit. We need so much more of that. So let's start. Oh, first, I want to say that we, how we know each other, we met at in Muncie many years ago at a vaccine education event during the middle of the measles outbreak. And we shared a table with information on vaccines and autism. We are both healthcare professionals and we are both parents of a child on the spectrum. And that really, I think, colors our outlook and gives us a lot of extra, I think, empathy and compassion. Would you say, Definitely. Nesha? Oh, 100%. Yes. So we have a lot to talk about. I think we're going to start with the measles outbreak and comparing it to COVID-19 in the Haredi communities because I think that, you know, we can learn from our past. Oh, 100%. I also almost say that I feel like we got, um, you know, a level up a little bit on face, like compared to other communities because of like the measles outbreak a few years mm-hmm. ago is we, we already knew a little bit how to talk to people about a contentious subject that could be mitigated with a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Like I, I obviously that was a stressful time, but looking back now, I'm almost grateful for it. And what I could also say is, I think that's what made the vaccine becoming available. It kind of sweetened it a little bit because I remember at, you know, as the, you know, as COVID began, not just, I mean, even before we started declaring a pandemic, but as we began speaking about it, I remember thinking like, this is bad because it isn't, you know, we can't say if you do this and this, then you're not going to get it. Um, and it almost, I remember once we started talking about the vaccine being available in a real way, I felt relief because I said, oh, like, I actually know how to talk to people about vaccines. Like, that's something I know to talk to people about. It's hard to talk to people about masks and it's hard to talk about, um, things that are, I think, more esoteric in nature. Like, even though a mask is a physical object, it's still esoteric. We're talking about things that are not like, you don't see particles, but you do see right. vaccines. Right. But I think it's even more than that. I think in the, you know, a lot of the Haredi communities, the other things that we could do were, I don't want to say futile, but not not as doable. Right. Oh, totally not realistic. And also just, right. I, I mean, you know, it's one of those times when you see policies that are written for people that aren't the, you know, that's that's not the target audience. Right. Right. You know, it's great for somebody who works from home, right? Ohio, has who lives in Ohio, kids. who has a babysitter. It could go on and yeah. on and on. And this is true for a lot of the hard hit communities. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, I think when we look at marginalized communities and, you know, we're still seeing this where we're blaming, we're blaming the folks that are getting COVID instead of the systems that are in place that kind of make it hard for them to get quality health information or make it hard to observe different, um, whether it be guidelines from the CDC or if it's their local or state, you know, guidelines. I think that's, that's, I mean, not just for the vaccines, but everything related to the pandemic. It's so, it's so easy to go and blame the, the folks that are, you know, getting COVID or quote unquote spreading COVID. But, you know, it's really the systems that kind of set folks up to fail. Right. Right. And, and, you know, if we look at trust, okay, because when you talk about vaccine uptake, it starts with trust, right? 
how do I know this vaccine is safe? How do I know how effective it is? Who, you know, who do I get my information from? Exactly. So I think we have to put, give a setting of, you know, during the measles outbreak, you know, there was a decline in trust. Would you say that that's true? A hundred percent. Okay. So then what happened during COVID? You tell me. I mean, I know. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking. I mean, I, I will say, I think, I don't think that we're talking about two different events when we talk about the deli- the, the decline from COVID, from the measles into COVID. I think it's the same, the same downward, you know. This, I think it was escalated. Yeah, I think if you start exactly. from a decline in trust and then you add in direct stigmatizing, exactly attacks and you can tell me how you know what you heard i mean for me i I will never forget when we had all of those zoning you know exactly oh where we we were not the only these were not the only communities that had a high rate again we talked before about the rate may not before a vaccine it wasn't really controllable and it's just by what we had exactly and i also think that um I mean, so one, I think that again, we never, we never jumped off from from the place of the measles. You know, we never. I don't think there was any, nothing other was ever was really rectified. I think people still felt felt targeted, mm-hmm. and still felt scared because I think you know after the measles, I think while the measles outbreak, um, maybe it helped some people get vaccinated, but I also think it helped a lot of people get better access to more, you know, natural points of view, if that makes sense. I think the No, measles, explain what you mean. I'm not sure what you mean. I think because it became, I think, okay, there's always been natural treatments for, mm-hmm. for all sorts of things, and especially within all marginalized communities, but I think specifically within the Haredi community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's for a number of reasons, whether it's for, you know, birth-related reasons, because there is, you know, still people always trying to avoid C-sections because of large mm-hmm. families or um, it's hard to get to the pediatrician. So first, before we get to the pediatrician with six kids, we're going to try the garlic in the ear. So mm-hmm. I think that's always existed. But then because of, I think the measles outbreak gave people a platform, gave, um, because let's say there were so many people on one side that were being vocal for vaccines it made this anti-vax side had to get louder almost and i think it gave folks this you know they said look like this you know this quote unquote these evil pro vaxxers are trying to force your children to get vaccinated but look on our side we have all these treatments and your kids don't get that sick and i think you know those voices just got louder um Right. Well, I think I think what what the anti-vaccine movement does, and we're going to distinguish the anti-vaccine movement from people in our community who may yep. not be pro-vaccine because it's really very different. And I will recommend people who it haven't is. yet listened to my talk with Dr. Dorit Reese. It's either Reese or Reese or Rice. I can never remember, but um, it's called "I'm Not Anti-Vax," but um, talk I did quite a while ago, and she talks about how there are leaders, and then there are people who are are really they really believe this, and they they, they just want what's best for you. You know, when exactly. your neighbor is telling you the vaccine, whatever vaccine is dangerous, she believes it with all her heart and soul. She's 100%. not out to get you, um, and that's 100%. where empathy, you know, and compassion has to come in. Um, but going back to the larger movement, the larger movement has always um, purposely preyed on the vulnerable communities. They did this with yes. measles in the Somali residents, and they did this all over again with measles oh, during yeah. the outbreak. You know, Andrew Wakefield was yeah. was was beamed in on video, and and I, I don't like to usually you know mention names, yeah. but he's just the most classic oh, yeah. of the one that started the whole you know measles causes the vaccine causes autism, which it completely does not. Crazy. Um, and, and you and I, of course, as parents of you know, kids on the spectrum, I think it's particularly, you know, poignant for us. Um, and where, you know, where I came to be passionate about this, because I remember being scared, you know, it was in, it was in the Lancet, his article, and it was in the Lancet for 12 years. I, I, I can't gone. believe, I can't believe it was in the Lancet for 12 years. 12 years. And when I look back at that, that to me is just, and I, you know, I remember also, you know, speaking to pediatricians that, you know, let's say I, when I got, when I started to become active within so yeah, vaccines, I actually spoke to my pediatrician because my pediatrician, the one that I went to as a child was also very pro vaccine. And I like asked her about, about how she has ever messaged about vaccines. And she said that the hardest thing was, is that 
when she was trying to get people vaccinated with the MMR, so many of her colleagues thought, you know, it might cause autism. Like, you know, she she was like trying to push this vaccine and then other pediatricians in the practice would oh, say, wow. well, maybe wait a little bit. Maybe wait till your kid's five before you get the first vaccine. Right. I was scared. I mean, I def. I mean, my whole, I'm, I guess my whole, I didn't even thought I'd ever begin talking about vaccines in a way that I do now because at first I wasn't pro-vaccine. I mean, I wasn't, right. I wasn't, I didn't not vaccinate, but I was definitely hesitant right. and I was definitely scared. Um, and I also think for me, um, my son getting his di- like autism diagnosis after like um, basically before he was given the MMR vaccine, I think that almost was a blessing because I think at the time I was Mm -hmm. very young and I don't think I could have properly distinguished between, you know, is this a genetic thing or maybe, maybe it was the vaccine. Right. And that's the whole problem with what they call a post hoc fallacy. Something happens yep. after. And that's what's happening right now with COVID vaccine. We're giving it all over the world. We're getting all kinds of reports because something happened after. Yep. And, and also- you know, they, they give these anti-vaccine brochures in the mail and there's all these anecdotes, all these stories. And, you know, you're told, well, you must listen to people. You can't distrust them. But just because something happens after, if your child had gotten that vaccine first and then become, you know, developed the symptoms of autism, you would have, could have blamed the vaccine. Anybody could have said exactly. it could have been the vaccine. And yet it happened before. Exactly. And I, and I also think there's so much, you know, the people no one wants to feel like anything that happens to their child is their fault. Right. And while autism, of course, is not a parent's fault, I mean, I personally believe there's obviously a genetic. Mm-hmm. No, there's a strong you know, genetic component. We know this. There now. is. But um, I think that it's really, as a parent, it's almost easier to say it was the vaccine and I won't vaccinate my future my future children, and I will right. protect them from from having autism. Now, of course, there is a lot of ableism within that, and you know, mm. autism is not autism is not like a death, death sentence. sentence right? I, what I think is really funny, I mean, not funny. There's a little bit. There is something funny about it, but it is mostly ironic and sad. Is there is the biggest lie that I think the system of the non-vax movement sells is that your child won't get that sick if they get whatever disease it is that's, you know, supposed to be prevented by vaccine. And I think it happens with COVID too. Mm-hmm. And they sell this to parents. They sell this to people who, who, you know, they really, they really kind of sell these stories of, of look, you know, kids get this and they don't get that sick. And, but your kid can get really sick from the vaccine and what's really worse than getting a kid sick is autism. And it's interesting that they, that folks at the top of the, of the non-vax movement are really quick to say, well, all autism is bad. And then really quick to say at the same time, you know, there's no variability of autism. All autism is bad, right? But there, but this, but vaccines, like the diseases that exist with vaccines, there's no variability in that either. You'll be fine. Like I've heard, I've heard people talk about how if you get polio, you don't get that sick. Trying to tell oh, wow. me how, how you know, most of the kids didn't end up in the iron lung with a straight face. Someone told me that. So most most kids got a bad flu. They didn't end up in the iron lung. Right. Well, that's the classic classic mo. Right. First, say the vaccine's dangerous, and then say the disease is not. And, you know, anybody who's listening to information they get should be very wary of information that is framed like that, you know, and and, and you will see it, you know, you will see it all the time. Like, you know, when a mailing I have right in front of my face, you know, Um, although COVID is a serious infection, according to the CDC, the actual chance of death for a healthy individual and survival rates by age, you know, zero to 19, 99.997%, it goes on and on like this. Yeah. Right. And I I don't think that these figures are exactly accurate. Um. But but the, even though percentage wise, right? Even if say you have a, a overall one percent case infection fatality rate or 0.5 percent, you know that's probably in the ballpark overall. First of all, it varies by age, and yeah. second of all, even a small percent ends up being a lot of people, and we can see this right now in the South, which even with children, all right, and children, thank God, rarely die of COVID, yes. right? 
the 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 numbers of what's happening in the South, including um, ICU admissions and overall in our country death, there are hundreds of kids who have died of COVID. Yeah. Right. So, and by the way, it's not just death; it's also morbidity. And that's exactly. Also, that I, they that's frame the it with just thing. death. The only problem with is just death. death. Exactly. <laughs> I almost that bothers me so much is when people right. are so for, focused on the on the mortality of it, not the morbidity. Right. I just and I also don't I don't get it because it's just I almost think being sick is worse than death. I I think, unfortunately, a lot of the time with these early COVID deaths, you know, they they weren't worked up the same way, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, now they are working at patients. They are really treating patients. um, And it's not fun to be on a vent. Like, I don't know why why we're not talking more about that. Like, it's not like you go on a vent and then you go home the next day and everything's fine. Right. Um, we look at we look at in New York how we had to kind of create a whole we had to create something like there weren't enough LTAC facilities or LTAC facilities weren't even approved in the same way. But because of COVID, we had so many people that had to come off those those vents and be weaned. Like something had I'm to be. Sorry, created. I'm sorry. LTAC. Yeah. Long term. Long term acute um, care. I think so. Let's look it up. Um. Knows what happens when you're on the vent yeah. and you can't come off the vent, but you're no longer, you know. Yeah, and LTAC is a long-term care. acute care facility. Mm-hmm. So it's where they go for to be weaned a lot of the time off the vent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So because a lot of nursing homes, I mean, and this is still happening. And this is also why I don't understand why. It's a, another thing that people just don't talk about is it's, it's not like the nursing homes are still reeling from this. There are still places that won't take, they won't take COVID patients, not because they don't want to, or not because they have policies in place where they don't take them, but just because they can't give them the care that they need. They can't give them the OT and PT and also wean them off their vents onto the trach. Mm -hmm. And it's a separate issue of not bringing. Or wean them from their trach off their, you know, wean them from the trach back to room air. Right, right. So, yes. So then it's different now. See, what I'm having struggling with now is it's different now because we have a vaccine. It's one thing to say, you know, wearing masks and social distance and all this kind of thing may not be so viable, you know, in a lot of Haredi communities. And and you have to go back to living. Like it's at some point not living to be on lockdown like that. There's risks to that. We've been saying that for a long time and it's just not, not doable. Yeah, I so that's don't... understandable. But but we have a vaccine, and the vaccine is a way to be able to get more safely back, right, to real life. But I do think the issue with that is people. We need to switch over, and I'm seeing this. You know, if you turn on the television, or if you go on any website where they have any type of ads that are being sponsored by, like the local and state health. Um, departments Mm -hmm. they say get the vaccine so you don't get covid and we need to stop that we need to say get the vaccine so you don't die from covid the same thing that we do with the flu vaccine you don't go to get your flu vaccine and they don't say to you and now you're not going to get the flu they say hey you might get the flu but we know that people who got the flu who were vaccinated who were healthy did not die and I think we need to we need to switch over to that. And it's hard. I mean, within all bureaucratic systems, it's so hard for them to go and kind of shift their messaging. But we need to because it's not it's not helping people get vaccinated. In the same breath as you're telling someone to get vaccinated who already is hesitant, you're saying get vaccinated because it's important. But then you know, in that same breath, you're saying, and now there's all these hospitalizations of breakthrough infections. Well, that's really confusing, and that's right. scary. That doesn't right. make sense for someone. Right. I mean, from the very beginning, they should have said the goal of these vaccines is to reduce severe disease, hospitalization, and death. Anything exactly. else we get is icing on the cake. Exactly. But unfortunately, that is a nuanced message. And I think, you know, to be fair, it's hard to get a nuanced message out by public health. I mean, I'm not defending our public health messengers. <laughs> I can't. Right. I think there's been, you know, a lot of very poor messaging and a lot of paternalism. You know, a lot of we'll tell you this oh, and yeah. then you will think oh, this yes. and then you will do this. And we're like, heck no, we're not. 
We don't trust no. you. And we trust exactly. you less and we trust you less and we trust you less. And that's, I don't understand why they're not getting that. Right. Just, or they're just not telling us enough. They're saying, okay, no mask. Okay. Put your mask back on. You know, it, it's not. I mean, sense. I think so with so much bureaucracy, the systems are so big. Listen, I don't think people within, within any bureaucratic system are evil. I don't think when they give this this messaging, I don't think that they're trying to harm the people that they are trying to message to. But I do think that there's this almost, the system is too big that it's hard to get on the level of the individual, is that we're trying to speak to many folks and the only way that we can seem to do that is with this best practices um, messaging, which we know doesn't work. Um, and we've learned that, let's say, with things like drugs. You know, we know now we can't say to someone, you'll never do drugs because for some people, that's just not a reality. You know, we right, you're, talking about harm reduction. Harm reduction, you're talking about harm exactly. reduction. Mm-hmm. We've adopted the, op- the harm reduction approach for that, um, but yet we're still kind of pushing best practices for everything else. And it's not just with COVID. We do this with a lot of different things Mm -hmm. um, where we say we want everyone to do the best and that's just not a reality. It's not realistic. Right. They don't understand the realities of the community. They're, they're talking to the hand, you know, exactly. And then trust erodes once again. Exactly. And they're in an echo chamber of people. I mean, this is still going on is that most, and this is, this is a, a federal problem and it happens on the federal and state level. Mm-hmm. Um, most health departments have a vaccine task force and those people are all usually hired internally. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, yes, they might have CBO community based organization partners, but when it comes to people who are sitting on those task force, they're all people who work within the health department and ha- usually have worked in the health department for years. Or I'm sorry, what's CBO? A community-based organization. Mm-hmm. Oh, which, by the way, I never got to hear about what community counter is and does. Yes. Yes, we will. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Yes, we'll get there. Don't um, forget. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know. Right. So they're talking from their yeah, own academic elite Exactly. From chambers. their own academics, from their own. And yes, they mm-hmm. go to the CBOs, right? So I, I can hear maybe segue into community counter a little bit. Is community counter actually was created because of this need for partnering with more CBOs, but um, Community Counter is actually a Chicago-based health organization, um, and it was created in the wake of um, the pandemic at the height of it, um, and it was actually originally created to speak about masking and social distancing in June of 2020. Um, And since then, it has evolved from not just in Chicago, but to New York because they realized that um, a lot of what happens, what even let's say trickles to out of town communities mm-hmm. kind of originates within the tri-state. Um, and I was really excited to hear, I remember they, they contacted me about getting involved and I remember I was really excited because I think there is a lot of great work being done in quote unquote in town communities. There is a lot of uh, great, messaging happening let's say within new york because lots of from people live here Mm -hmm. so there is good messaging happening here whether it's from a cbo or sometimes when a cbo does get to link up um with the health department i mean it doesn't always happen it isn't always harmonious but sometimes it is um but i remember thinking a lot about how do out-of-town communities deal with this um and that it really excited me to hear an organization that dealt with out of town communities too, mm-hmm. and also realized how kind of even though out of town and in town communities deal with things a little differently, um, and I think the infrastructure is ultimately different. Um, I think it's important to realize that we're all part of the same chain. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to work with an organization that was doing that, that was talking about how it's all one and the same, and also an organization that was really willing to to kind of uh, listen to the way I wanted to do things a little bit. Mm, um, no more echo chamber there then. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Exactly. Um, and wanted to, and also, you know, I always say no matter what organization it is, 
whether it's an organization that I work with permanently or an organization that I consult with or an organization that just wants to pick my brain, the first thing that I always do is I always kind of stalk their social media a little bit and see if they post anti-vax memes and like make fun of anti-vaxxers. Because when someone does that, it Mm -hmm. immediately turns me off. Right. Um, And that's honestly one of the reasons why I love working with you is because I know like, I know that in your messaging, there never is this bit of like, Not and right. I'm smarter than the anti-vaxxer. Right. And I just, I hate that. I hate right. when we, you know, when we belittle people, because if we're being honest, some people that I speak to with that are non-vaccinating, I can say that they know, they know how to get around a research article in a mm-hmm. really interesting way. Mm-hmm. Like, really. and really know. And are well-read and are intelligent folks. Mm -hmm. And most of the folks that I speak to, you know, I'm not usually talking to people at the top. I'm talking to people, peers. I'm talking to other mothers. I'm talking to people or people who, you know, they're pro-vax and they're vaccinating, but they want to know how to talk to their sister who's not vaccinating. Those folks just want what's best for their kids. Right, right. And it's understandable. Like, who, who do you trust? At the end of the day, who do you trust? Right. I mean, if we've had an erosion, a tremendous erosion of trust and, and messaging that hasn't been speaking to us for whatever reason. And again, you don't need to have a conspiracy theory. It's like you said, there's bureaucracy. There's also, to be fair, when they are giving public health messaging, they're not giving it to individual people. They're not giving it to individual communities. They have to think of the whole picture. Yeah. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean they can't do better. So, okay. So you don't trust them. Then who do you trust? And and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we all have dependence on our experts, right? Yes. You go to the mechanic. Everybody uses this as, 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 you know, as an example, because like, I know for me, I don't have a clue what happens under the hood of my car. I have to depend on my mechanic. Right. So even for people who are reading these articles, if they, you know, they may be very intelligent and very thoughtful, but at some point, it's too easy to be fooled. It, oh, 100%. And I mean, what I what I will say, and I actually forgot to mention this a little earlier, is like you were just looking at conspiracy theories, is um, I remember as the pandemic was evolving in the very beginning, and then I remember at the height of it, and it's interesting to say the height, because Florida now has more hospitalizations daily York, than New York did. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I remember in, let's say, March 31st, 2020, um, and hearing what I was hearing from the patients, because I was working solely as a patient advocate then, um, there was no community projects happening, um, and hearing from the, the patient's family, sometimes the patients themselves, and what was happening, and I realized that this, that this was creating a perfect storm. Because it kind of did confirm conspiracy theories in Mm -hmm. a weird way. Mm -hmm. And what upsets me is I think some people look at what happened in March, April, and May of 2020, and they say, oh, doctors and nurses were so evil. And no, that isn't what you should take away. You should take away, wow, the systems we had in play weren't properly supporting these folks before the pandemic. You know, it's not like all of these hospitals didn't have issues with staffing. They did. That's the truth. You know, wasn't like staffing issues just came cropped up in March because they were overwhelmed. But they were overwhelmed to avoid happening again, which is happening already in the South and already happening now, despite a vaccine, which is not perfect, but it's pretty good. But (laughs) but um, it created this this scary, perfect storm of you know what was happening where people, you know, there is. I would say there's three main pillars of. Uh, medical distrust. Mm -hmm. And I think the first one is experimentation. Um, And, you know, we see that within the Haredi community because of, um, because of like the Holocaust, also for Lubavitchers because of what happened in Stalinist Russia. Um, And we also see that in other marginalized communities like black and brown communities. Um, But then there, so there's, there's experimentation distrust. There is the the government piece, right? Mm-hmm. The piece of the government being very back and forth with things or not being honest. 
Or they're out so, to get us. I mean, this feeling exactly. that we are being targeted specifically, which happened to us. Right. So, and, and, and people really felt that way because, you know, every day you're turning on the news and they are saying something different. One day people are told to wear a mask and the next day they're told, don't wear a mask ever. It's not going to help you. And then the next day again, we're wearing 10 masks at the same time. Like that was Oh my gosh. So, there, there is so the, it's, it's funny. It's funny, not funny, but there is somebody made a little video of a collage of everything Fauci ever said about masks. Oh my gosh. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's funny, not funny. It's, it's awful. It's funny, not funny. <laughs> um, but I, like, Oh, I think I actually did see that. There's also politics. Yeah. I mean, the politics 100%. have been inextricably intertwined with the pandemic all along. And we are always the scapegoat. Yeah. We, the, the, but even before COVID, we had a surge of anti-Semitism. COVID is oh, not yeah. helping that. No, COVID and COVID um, kind of, COVID just feeds into that. And then, and then uh, so basically back to that third pillar is the death alone thing, right? And right. I think people are really, you know, especially within the Haredi community, but I'm saying with all marginalized communities, people are very familial, right? Mm-hmm. And there is, there is, you know, we, there is so much discouragement of being, you know, you know, dying alone. And then in COVID, people died alone. Sometimes people didn't know about it for days at a time. You know, that that really not, is the truth. Right. And not just that, but we tend to believe what we see with our eyes. Exactly. We weren't there. Exactly. And that may explain a lot of why we're not learning. Because yeah. I think we're not learning. You know, oh, no, I mean, look what's happening not. in Florida. Do we have to go through this chas for shalom again? I mean, to think that these communities have herd immunity. It does I, not stand up to what's what's happening with Delta variant. Exactly. Exactly. I, I have to tell you, if we don't come up with anything, I, I, I'm, I'm so concerned about our most vulnerable members. And if you think about how we are in the firm world, you know, they say you can tell a society about how they care for their most vulnerable members. Well, we've always, always yeah. cared for our most vulnerable members, Right. I mean, look at that little boy, right? That was lost last week. Exactly. The whole Jewish world was crying and davening and and dancing in joy when he was found for one child. Exactly, and that's why I mean, I refuse to get to ever get into the, I mean, this granny killer rhetoric. Oh God, oh, of, stop! Yeah, I will never get into that, and especially when you see people saying that about the Haredi community, and it's like built into our the the like the groundwork DNA. of yeah. everything you know there's laws about Beaker Chaylab like right. of course we care about our sick of course we care about our vulnerable and of course when people are choosing not to vaccinate it's not because they want to harm anyone um I just I, I just I hate that and I hate when people think that like if you're not vaccinated it's because you want to kill someone or if you're not vaccinating you're a murderer and it's like no way. That's not it at all. You're not right. vaccinated. This, 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 is a, this is a change of topic a little bit, but it's related. And we must talk about natural immunity. Oh, of course. And the problem with natural immunity is that in Israel, you can get your green pass if you had COVID. You don't have to get the vaccine yeah. because they recognize the robustness of natural immunity. Now, yeah. you talk about, I believe what I see, what these communities are seeing at this point in time. Um, and really maybe even pre-Delta. I, I don't know how Delta is going to change this because basically Delta is here and people were away in the bungalow colonies and now they're coming back to like the city areas which were hard hit. It's, it's too soon to say that that natural immunity will hold up to Delta. You know, the, the d- data that we have, however limited it is, shows that there's a decline in natural immunity with the Delta. How much, you know, again, we, we don't have great data on reinfections. Okay. Right, it's true. But if you look at what they're seeing, these communities are saying, we haven't been seeing COVID like COVID naive communities are. So you're telling us your natural immunity doesn't matter. You're not counting us as vaccinated when we have natural immunity. That is a tremendous erosion of trust issue. It's true. Right. And you and I both tried, right? We were both interviewed yeah. for a, for a, you know, yeah. a newspaper. And I'm sure you regret it like I regret it because yeah. I spent so much time and energy. I'm like, this is a problem, by the way, in many hard hit communities. Yeah. Where they are being, you know, told that your rates of vaccination are low. And they're like, hello, I had COVID. But I also now, just don't, and I I'm not saying, by the way, as I'm a physician and I want to be very careful here, I'm not saying that I'm recommending against getting the vaccine if prior COVID. I think there are, are benefits to it. 
I think Same. especially with Delta, you know, there's just so much we don't know. And I don't think we should just be looking at what's in front of us because that means you're going to be reactive rather than proactive. And exactly. back to that individual person, Hasfashalam, we should lose one person due to an infection that was spread by somebody who got reinfected who could have prevented it with a vaccine. That's how I feel. You know, we do know that it is reasonably safe. When I say safe, I don't mean 100% for all those people who say, did you say it was 100% safe? No, I'm not. But exactly, safe. Yeah reasonably safe. You know, it's not like it's going to cause some kind of antibody dependent enhancement as the, you know, anti-vaccine world would have you believe to get it, you know, after COVID. So it's a, it's a reasonably safe thing to do to add additional immunity to our communities. Um, however, when we are being targeted as having low vaccine rates and we have people who, you know, may have quite good immunity, that's not fair. It's not fair. And I also think, I also think it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's sending home. I know, actually, I don't, I don't think I see that it's sending home the wrong messaging. A hundred percent. And, and why that is, is, um, so I was, you know, I am pretty active in some doula chats. Not, I don't practice so much as a doula now. Um, but I still like to be of assistance in any way I can. And I, thankfully from the position that I'm in now can do a lot of work to help um, the the doula community because I both know hospitals and bureaucracy systems intimately and also know what it's like to be a doula. Um, but people, a lot of people were talking about what's going on now with uh, doulas being vaccinated in hospitals. And someone brought up like, why isn't it like Israel? And, a lot of women kind of try and did and say, oh, because it's about control and compliance. And the thing is, it's not about that either. Because we just can't come out and say, I wish, you know, I wish from the bureaucratic standpoint, we could come out and say, listen, we believe in the COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine is effective and important. It's effective and important even if you've had COVID. But natural immunity is acceptable too. Um, and that would, that would come from such a place of, it's not control and compliance. It's, you know, we don't know everything yet. It's not, it's not control. It's not trying to control people. It's, it's kind of the being on the cusp of new information. Um, I watched a master class. I, I w- like watched someone watching a master class actually, but it was about, um, it was about kind of being on the precipice of new um, information and Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. and how like sometimes when someone's just on that cusp of new information, it's not that like, it's not that anyone is trying to be kind of haphazard about it or trying to tell anyone anything bad, but it's just that we don't know. But instead of saying to people like, this is new information and we're learning, um, we just say, this is what it is. And I look back at what happened at the beginning of COVID, and I wish if we would have said, hey, this is new information and we're learning. Right. You don't know everything. We're not 100% sure. We think this is the right thing to do, and it might change. I think of how many things could have been mitigated. Let's say even with masks, right? Right. If with masks, we would have said, hey, you know, this might change. Not this is the right thing to do. I think maybe more people would have worn masks for longer. Um, I also think it's right. conf- it, even now it's kind of confusing. I mean, I I remember at the beginning of the summer when they lifted mask mandates, I thought, wow, this is such a mistake. Like, right, let's not do this now. Like, you know, we're not ready yet. And instead of saying, I wish they would have said, hey, you know, we're still wearing masks inside. Masks inside is still the right thing. But let's talk about being outdoors because we know outdoor transmission is so low. Well, let's it depends. I mean, if you're in, if you're in a crowd, say like a crowd exactly. wedding outdoors, you can. That, I just that, want to say a couple things. Right. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, but uh, I first I want to say that we are building this plane as we fly it. Right. So yeah. it's, this is science in real time. And I love how Dr. Michael Ostom, he, he's quoting something else. I can't remember who it was, but he says, this is what we call corrected science. You right. know, people think, oh, science is garbage. You know, eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. You know, putting aside the limits of nutritional science right. um, and good science and bad science, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's changing because we're learning every single day. And by the way, Dr. Michael Osterholm on the Osterholm Report or CIDRAP, C-I-D-R-A-P, has a website. Osterholm has a podcast, the Osterholm Report. He's been saying all along that it's not about masks. It's about effective masks. And that's a problem because, you know, the CDC came late to the game to say this was an aerosolized 
virus and people have been saying, but masks don't work, they're not 100% wrong if you're talking about a cloth mask, exactly. you know, especially yep. worn below the nose. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, it, it still boils down to compassionate, honesty, you know, listening to people because I find so many people have such intelligent things to say and branding them an anti-masker and anti-vax, it just shuts down before you even yep. have a dialogue. Yep. Right. And, and and we're polarized over this. It's ridiculous. We have conversations where we talk about everybody must wear masks all the time forever, you know, and, and it's almost like a religion, right? When they say the anti, you know, the more conservative people are, for example, I want to make this politics say mask theater, right? Yep. They have a point. Yeah. yeah. They have a point. Oh, I think know? a lot of, I think they're, unfort- I, I will tell you something very funny that happened and it's really not that funny but i was walking with my son ezra and i will say when i walk alone i don't skew as from i think Mm -hmm. like it's a thing in general women are are able to be religiously neutral a lot of the Mm -hmm. time especially you don't have payas yeah exactly (laughs) especially if you wear a wig too i mean like i you know you can really you can really kind of hide and blend right but um one time actually it was I was walking with my son and we were outside outdoors and he didn't have a mask on and someone started like shouting at us to put a mask on right Mm -hmm. and I looked around and no one else around me was wearing a mask because we were outdoors and this part of me wants to be like you don't know who I am like I am the person that talks to people about wearing masks if like Oh, God. You, you know what I mean? And Remember then, when they had reporters on the streets looking for orthodox? Yeah, you know, from terrible. To- you know, another time, actually, this is actually my son was wearing a mask. We were waiting on the corner and this like white hipster on a bike, my son coughed and someone yelled COVID at him. And I was like, yeah. what is wrong with you? First off, if my son did have COVID, like, what did that, like, okay, like, like, what did that help? But two, like, what is wrong with you? Like, why is that okay? Like, <laughs> but you know, but this is what happens, you know, in times of uncertainty, right? I mean, anti-Semitism targeting us is always going to go up. Yeah, it's not going to go down. It's it's going to go up, you know. But but the real problem is, how do we build trust so people can get? good information. I mean, I'm especially concerned. I wasn't as concerned over the summer when everything was really so low. The incidence yeah. was so low, thank God. Yes. But we have Delta and we have a lot of uncertainty. And, and by the way, I'm going to just break off. I don't want to forget to say this. Public health in America is looking at it from a different perspective. I think Israel is being a more realistic sort of harm reduction kind of approach when they accept yes, natural immunity. Because the it's smaller, that, I think. It's also smaller, right. But they're also being realistic. But America, the American public health, they're not, again, trying to get compliance or control or make money for Pfizer or whatever the, you know, misinformation people are telling you. They are looking at it, A, we don't know how long the the immunity will last, and B, we do know that immunity is variable after natural infection. So if you're looking and saying, hey, the, I don't see any in my community, but the prevalence is low, it's just because it's not happening. That does not mean that when Delta, which is like a thousand times more infectious, comes to your community and there is no way that you have 100% herd immunity, right? By definition, you have young children who it's affecting more now who are vulnerable. And the other thing that I'm very, very concerned about is our immune compromised, high risk and elderly people, Yeah. whether they've been vaccinated, right? And we know from Israel right, that the older population, especially they've been vaccinated long ago, can have waning immunity. Yes. Right? There's something called immunosenescence, where as you get older, your immune system is not as robust. You know, I have a friend who tested their mother just for travel, and she had zero antibodies, zero. And she thought she was walking around protected from the vaccine. Yeah. So if we're a community that cares about each one of our people, what? how do we behave now to protect them as much as possible. I'm not going to say everybody has to go in N95 mask. That does not make sense. No. Right? Even if we're going to say, well, maybe those cloth masks don't don't work so well, you know, especially for Delta, which is so, so infectious. A very short time, you know, with someone who's infectious with Delta, we'll get, we'll get you infected. And we know now, of course, that you can be infected even if you've been vaccinated. Yeah. Significantly percentage can be. 
Yes. If we're going to be honest. And we are only going to be honest, right? I think, I mean, honesty is the best policy here. Right. Truth, right? And again, I mean, it's it's manipulated by people in the anti-vaccine world to say vaccines don't work. It's the nirvana fallacy. If they're not yep. perfect, then they don't work at all. They're garbage. Forget them. And that's not true. That is our best bet, especially in the Haredi communities where, you know, you may not be able to do as much distancing and effective mask wearing, right? And and not only that, I'm saying like we also are such a communal, we are you know, we are just, every part of our lives are hinged on community. Right. Um, and even when we look at things like the way, like, men learn in our community, like, you know, it's a, it's, it's by Havrusa, the person's, right. you know, six inches apart from each other. Um, and I kind of feel like the only way, and to get back, to, to get back to a place of trust and get back to a place where we can, um, not only, not only gain the trust of the community, but also kind of gain any type of like, you know, it's not just trust because I think that trust is one piece of it, but it's also like respect of that. Like, you know, like, okay, people need, only need to respect, you know, respect their physician. Like, I'm not saying respect big bureaucratic systems, but if your physician has cared for your family for years, and when we look at Haredi communities, we do have kind of the village, sometimes this village pediatrician model, right? Where the same pediatrician that that cared for the mother is now, you know, on that second or third generation of caring for that family, if they have been with your family every step of the way and have told you, you know, have been there when you call at 2 a.m. with croup, right? If they haven't led you astray with that or haven't, you know, were, were honest about growth charts or whatever else, right? Whatever small or large thing. Why are, why are we choosing to say our, 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 our healthcare workers, I'm not saying bureaucratic systems. Why are we saying our healthcare workers are not trustworthy? And why aren't we respecting their point of view when they have been for us for so long? Right. I mean, I think there's also an additional problem in that even physicians in these communities, a lot of them oh, have experienced. That happens too. Yes. Right. You know, had the same loss of trust and the same skepticism. So you may go to your physician, and even not in this community I'm talking about. In my practice, I'm, I'm not talk. I'm not in a Haredi, you know, from practice. I've had people come tell me, "Well, my OB told me not to get the vaccine." Yep. All right. So yeah, we I know that's it, happening. Very, very challenging. I don't know what to tell people whose whose physician is telling them not to get the vaccine, right? Without good reason. You know, right. I'm not talking about an underlying condition that would be a problem, yeah. you know. And yeah. again, the the issue of prior COVID with the vaccine is more of a gray zone. It is. It's true. You know, I, I do know that there are physicians who say, check your antibodies. If you have antibodies, don't get the vaccine. I, I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that is because, and I said this so many times, we don't have a direct correlate of protection. Your number of antibodies do not tell you how protected you are because it's the neutralizing antibodies, which there is a test for it. I don't think it's really commercially available. It is not what you're being tested for. And so you may have tons of antibodies that don't help you fight COVID, especially with Delta, which has Delta, been shown yeah. in, in labs to, you know, they've taken sera of recovered people and shown that it's not as good. And again, that's average, right? You don't know how you are. You might have amazing, amazing immunity, right? When people say natural immunity is so much better than vaccine immunity, that there's no data to support that. I think Except, it's a lot of it's well, well, there is some. I mean, I, I don't want right. to lie there, because yes. I don't want to be misleading. There is some in yeah. the sense that when you have natural immunity, you have a different kind of immunity and you make IgA secretory, which means when yep. the virus comes in, you may be able to attack it right away. Whereas someone who's been vaccinated only has IgG, right, for the yep. spike antibody. So that may be one reason why we're seeing so much infection with people who are vaccinated, except that over time they seem to clear it faster, which makes sense because then their IgG can come in and fight it. Right. It's a different kind of immunity. And by the way, if you had COVID and you get vaccinated, you will have the best of both worlds. You will have a very strong spike protein. It's called hybrid immunity. Shane Crotty, S-H-A-N-E, Crotty, C-R-O-T-T-Y, wrote a very good paper for Nature on hybrid immunity. And again, it is more theoretical in his paper, to be honest. Um, and again, I wish we were doing more tracking in Israel of the people who have both um, had reinfection versus been vaccinated because so many were vaccinated who had COVID. Exactly. Right? And we don't have that data. Once you're talking about a small population of people who had COVID but were not vaccinated, it's hard to make conclusions. It's true. About I mean, that. So it's hard to get the data that people want. It goes back to that same thing where people are hesitant 
to go back on something. I think that's a big thing. People are, I think a lot of physicians are, don't want to talk about hybrid immunity because by saying, by talking about that, they're afraid that it weakens their, their speaking points about the vaccine, which I don't think it does actually. I think with effective messaging, I think it speaks to the vaccine. Right. Um, but. I think there's no way around honesty, but unfortunately, you know, and there's reasons for that. I mean, Dr. Michael Osterholm was banned from YouTube. I mean, it is mind boggling. He was right. banned from YouTube. All right. And so when people say that there, you know, are, are, um, you know, censorship on social media, that that's true. It is true. Right. You know, so people who try to give something different, like we tried to give something different for our interview that was not the narrative and it was not accepted. Right. So, you know, it, it's very hard. And, but to be fair on the flip side, so say you come out and say, okay, so the vaccines aren't perfect. You know, they may not prevent infection, but they'll prevent, you know, severe disease, but you know, not all the time. Right. And you come out and give that nuanced message and people are go, well, I don't want it if it's not perfect. Right. I mean, yeah, I just, I think, again, I just, I don't know. It makes me like, it makes me sad though that the that the censorship problem is such a big thing mm-hmm. because it's true. Um and also I always feel like deplatforming is the worst thing that we can do. 100%. Because because it doesn't make it doesn't make the folks first off it reinforces everything that they've been telling that they're controlling. That, yeah, that they're controlling but also that they're the martyrs for the community. Like they are trying to protect the community and look in their efforts to protect the community. They're still being targeted and attacked and, you know, having their platform taken away. Um, and I think the other issue is that when we, when we deplatform, we just make them harder. We just make folks harder to find. Um, and instead of it being in Maybe a you place, make, you make, I'm sorry, you make. We make the, we make it harder, we make it harder to actually find where they're spreading this information from. And oh, I see you're not, pushing it under yes. the ramp. But you're also, but you're exactly. also just increasing the trust in their so-called expert and decreasing exactly. the trust in their real experts. It's exactly. just another erosion of trust. It is so yep. wrong. It is so wrong. And I just also think it's like, you know, if it's on the dark web, then we don't even know what to say to talk about. You know, I don't even know how to refute those claims. I've, you know, I am I'm a big believer in if someone, um, I do it less now for mental health reasons, but I would tell people all the time, I would say to them, and it wasn't just with COVID and vaccines, but no matter what it was, I said, if you give me a piece of media that you believe is the truth, and I would even do it with YouTube videos and things, I'll listen to it and I'll go line by line and talk about some of the points. Um. And I would even do that, let's say, almost for fun so I could know what I was talking about. Because if the fo- if the people that you're speaking to um, aren't afraid of the things that you're talking to them about, it doesn't help, right? If I'm talking about, um, you know, pro-vax messaging and I'm speaking about something that they're, they don't, folks don't even have a concern about. Like for me, I'm very, I speak a lot about messaging that's related to fertility and birth and maternal health as a whole. It's because it's what I know about, but also because it is a very big point of people's fear. Right. And when right. I, and it's a classic, it's a classic fear mongering that's happened always. It's a common trope in the, in the anti-vaccine community is long-term effects in fertility, long-term effects in fertility. And, it's, and it just, it goes straight to, I mean, it goes straight to any person who can chat to, you know, any person who has dreams of parenting, that scares them. But especially in our community, that is so, you know, hinged upon having children um, and right. having and, a family. And, and Joma has done an enormous amount. So much great on, work. On fertility and that there is no connection. And of course, long term, that is an unfalsifiable complaint about a new vaccine. It is true, but I think something that I, I keep telling folks, mm-hmm. um, as I do say, yeah, we don't know long term, but we also don't know long term of a whole great many things and we still do those things. Um, but I like to tell people is, um, you know, most, I would say almost all reproductive endocrinologists are promoting the vaccine. Right. Right. And as is, you, by the way, Taharenu, which yes, is specific I, to the Haredi community. They are amazing. Taharenu. I am. 
I definitely want to talk about Tyrenu in a moment because I am so impressed with what they what they um, what they put out. Someday but I shall interview them. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> they're but you know they're really hard to. I've I've tried to speak to them oh. and they. I will say what I actually really admire about them is they are so committed to the community mm-hmm. in a really honest and ehrlich way. Right. And they're like they're not trying to. They're genuinely trying to do what's best for the community. And if they know that talking to a certain person, even let's say if it will get them, you know, if it's something even like discretionary funds, they won't go and do that. They really are committed to the community in a way that I haven't seen many Haredi-based organizations do. Um, but like, okay, if you go to an endocrinologist, you know that like, the way that you know reproductive endocrinologists good is good is because of their rates, right? Their mm-hmm. success rates. Um, and that's why, let's say, even a few years ago, there was a push to do double embryo transfers and all of these other things that now they don't do. But, um, but that was the biggest thing. It was getting a success rate. If a reproductive endocrinologist knew that something that they were promoting would hinder that, that would directly hinder their, you right. know, their financial their bottom line. Depends exactly. on the vaccine not causing fertility problems. Exactly. It's like, so So that's why I always try to like say that to people. And they're always like, wait, you're right. That is true. Why would a reproductive endocrinologist suggest that to me if they thought that maybe like it would hinder my fertility? Like, you know, so I do find that like talking about those things from a very like, kind of like really not, not, um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say simplifying it because I feel like maybe simplifying is a word that doesn't always have the best connotation, but just kind of like really breaking it down and saying like, why would a doctor suggest it if their whole job is to get people pregnant? Like, why would right, they suggest right, that if right. it was going to hurt them? Right. I don't, I don't think it's patronizing to take that approach because at the end of the day, you know, people just don't even know. They're just scared. You know, like I had someone call me up and say, you know, I I was about to vaccinate my child and my friend told me, whatever you do, don't do that. It's so dangerous. And again, and she meant this from the bottom of her heart, this other woman, right? She she believes the vaccine is dangerous and she just wants to help her friend. And she sent me a video and I opened up the video and I listened to two seconds of it and I saw (laughs) that this was not someplace I should be getting my information from. It's a smart woman, right? She's like, she saw from the language of it that it was anti-vaccine propaganda. And she said, you know what, I'm going to speak to a physician who knows about this. Yep. And so I think that, you know, even if your physician is not so, you know, knowledgeable, because not all are, it's a new vaccine. Um, you know, first of all, send them to, to, to Joma. We've got so much information yeah. and we've, you know, got pamphlets and other resources for healthcare professionals. Um, and, and also listen to our, our material. We've done so many talks on COVID-19 and with each one, I really, really try hard to be, you know, honest and transparent. I did one with Dr. Gregory Poland called, um, nothing is risk-free and I pushed him so hard. (laughs) And if you listen to that one, I pushed him so hard. I did. I did. You know, because I think that that's important to to have sources of information that you can trust. And it's amazing that there's an organization called Taharina, which is truly a Haredi organization that, you know, because it's an insider, you know, they will, of course, garner more trust. And they, and they really, and I will say, like, I, I have been following some of the work of Taharina for a while. And I just, I was so impressed when they put that out. Because I will say, it's not like... So when you put, say put that out, you mean the piece they that put they put out, out yes. from Dr. Isaac? Exactly. What's his last name? Um, let's med school it. with him. He's in my class. Dr. Isaac Gladstein. Yes. I was so impressed. And I will tell you why. Not only was I impressed because of the nature of the organization um, and the nature of how things are within our communities, but also, you know, it's not like that's an organization that always goes straight to the most Western medical like medical approach. It doesn't. Right. I've, I've, I've sent women there and, and, and they were having, let's say issues with spotting um, uh, between cycles of their period. And they were told, uh, no, let's not try the birth control. Let's try the herbs first. Mm-hmm. So it's not like an organization that I think people, you know, they don't run to, let's say the one, like the most 
common medical approach. I do right, right. really. They're, they're, they, they, right. They will consider more holistic approaches. They yeah. have all kinds of tricks up their sleeves, which yeah. is great. Which is great. I think it's great. I, I was really, I, I was so impressed. And just like I was impressed with um, Dr. Avraham Gottesman and Crown Heights too, mm-hmm. who put out, he put out a whole statement about um, getting vaccinated for COVID. And I was, I was so impressed and I was impressed because it came from a place of, of real empathy mm-hmm. and wanting the community to be healthy. And then I loved the actionable step at the bottom. Um, and, and the bottom of that, of that statement, he says like, um, and I will vaccinate parents at my practice. Oh, wow. And I think that's kind of an issue that I see that happens within public health as a whole is sometimes we're really good at the messaging and not so good at the direct action. Right. Right. Um, and that's for me when I was, when I was doing all of, you know, in the very beginning in January time with the vaccines, um, I was so focused on, yes, messaging was important too, but also the direct action of it, of getting out there and actually like making sure people got vaccinated. And that's why I just like love that he said that. Cause he didn't just say, go get vaccinated. He said, and you know, come here. I will vaccinate you. Um, right. That's on COL Live on the Crown correct. Heights uh, yeah. webpage. I just want to make one more comment, though, is that one of the problems with the vaccination um, program that we've had is it's been disassociated from your doctor for a large part. Not not everywhere, um, but a lot of people have had to get it from outside places, your pharmacy or, you know, vaccine centers or whatever, and your doctor may not have it. Like I know in my practice, we we don't have it. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think he, he's in a place of um, advantage because he shares an office with an urgent care that is Mm -hmm. carrying the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I think that was, that was another issue where, you know, we did kind of quote unquote, do a bit of a mess up with the vaccine. The original um, vaccine distribution is we did it in these, uh, these places that one were kind of scary, like when you look at the military distribution centers and then B, if they weren't scary, they were hard to navigate. Like let's say the systems that, that different health health departments set up. Um, Especially if you don't use the internet. Exactly. Go on this internet thing, which by the way, if you were older and you had to put your age in, that sounds like they couldn't do it because it would, it would time out before they got back far enough. It was so sad. That's very sad. Also, can I tell you, I actually, um, my grand, like my grandmother, was getting her second dose during that crazy snowstorm in February. Oh, I remember that. And um, I remember that the place where she was getting her second dose, they had closed for the day. Um, but because of some medical um, reasons, like a procedure that she was getting done later in the month, she needed to have the vaccine done on that date or else it would then go push off her procedure further because her physician wanted her two weeks out. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember having to do a, like find an emergency appointment and I had to use the like the system for it. And it was really confusing. It was like it was, it was not, it was not simple. Um, and I feel really lucky. I was able to, with the work that I did, I was able to get over 500 people vaccinated on my own. Oh, wow. Right. And I, I'm really proud of that. And, That's awesome. And it was I'm such proud. a hard time. It was such it, a hard time. And again, another so- erosion of trust. And, and, and also, you know, like I said, if you are on the fence and you trust your doctor and you can't do it right away, right? Exactly. You, you you lose all momentum. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's kind of also like a lot of the time with, you know, what happens with um, like pediatric vaccines too. You know, I think sometimes I remember when my son was younger, I would go in thinking like, maybe I'm not going to do the vaccine today. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then, you know, the vaccines would be there in the little the basket. Right, and I would right. say, you know what, like, I guess I will do it today. Like, you know, I think right, that's, that's okay. Right, there's a conversation that has to yeah. happen that's based on trust. Well, I think I kind of I will say I do feel like that's almost a um a different conversation a little bit and it's not just a covid conversation. I believe in within the Haredi community our pediatricians are so strapped for time. Right. Um is that's why something that I always wanted to have happen 
is I would love, and I've been like trying to get any, like, listen, I've been trying to get anyone who will listen to me that has a nice chunk of grant money Mm -hmm. to invent this role. And everyone's like, this is a great idea, but we don't have this much money. Um, is I believe within the Haredi community, there needs to be a community liaison, like a public health liaison who is there to answer these questions. Right. Because I think a lot of pediatricians would want to have these conversations with families about vaccines in general, or even let's say about why you should take antibiotics for strep. Like, and I think sometimes it's not because they're, you know, they think that their patients are stupid and they don't want to have the conversation. It's because they're seeing like 50 patients in a day. Like it's a great, the craziest schedule you've ever heard of. So I think that's something that, I mean, I would love to have happen. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this and wants to talk about. Yes. And you can also reach us at, at, um, at health at joma.org or vaxfax at joma.org or info at joma.org. Any of those um, people want to help us with that because that, that is actually really, really important idea. And I have to say, we could talk about this all day. We'll never finish, but, but we're over an hour. So I'm going to say we're going to stop. Thank you so, so much for having this talk with me. Definitely. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.